All right. Hey, everyone. So this is episode 22 of Getting Everyone Moving, brought to you by Palms and Pines Parasports. And today uh, we have a somewhat famous guest, I would say. His name is Ron Likens. He is the coach of the U.S. men's wheelchair basketball team and also coach at the University of Missouri. So, Ron, welcome. Uh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. So let's get right into it, Ron. I mean, how, how did you get started in the field of, you know, wheelchair basketball adaptive sports? When I was in college, I needed volunteer hours. I was a recreation major and I had to do a 90 hour uh, field work. And we had a wheelchair basketball team on campus. I didn't have a car, so I needed something that was close. Uh, it was sports related and, I, and it kind of intrigued me. And I decided to go talk to the gentleman who ran the program. His name was Stan Labanowicz, uh, a professor at University of Kentucky. And little did I know that he was also the commissioner of the NWBA. And he was also in charge of the International Stoke Manville Games Federation, which at that time was the head of the international wheelchair basketball. So I, mean, I was really fortunate to just walk in there and, and talk to him and there and like the other stories on your podcast, people are always looking for uh, someone to come and help. So I, I decided to do my uh, field work there, got my 90 hours done in like two weeks because I just fell in love with it. We had a major tournament called the Bluegrass Invitational, which at that time had the top 16 teams in the NWBA coming to Lexington, Kentucky. And I got a chance to see some of the best players in the world that weekend. That was my introduction to it. And I was hooked finished my uh, volunteer work, stayed with it. Um, the next year I, I volunteered again and, and did a little bit of coaching. Then my graduate assistantship was working with the team. And it went from a, a, a class of just volunteering to where, uh, where I'm at today, where I met all my friends, uh, all my professional experiences. I owe it all to having to volunteer for a class. So, you, you know, I mean, you're at the top level of, uh, wheelchair basketball. I mean, there's no doubt, you know, about that. But what is it to go back a little bit? What is it that you fell in love with? I mean, why why wheelchair basketball? Well, I always played basketball growing up, and it was a chance for me to get involved with it. And at that time, I, I saw a need. There weren't a lot of coaches there. A lot of these teams coached themselves, and they and they were looking for coaches. They just couldn't find anybody to do it. Now, I didn't think I was the, the savior to them, but I was willing to come in and try and learn from it. And it was uh, a great group of guys to work with. And I, I just got hooked on it. And um, you know, when I graduated college, a position opened up at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Mm -hmm. And at that time, there were only four collegiate positions open. So, I mean, I, you know, I volunteer with this guy who ends up being like the number one guy in the world for wheelchair basketball. I finished my degree. A program opens up one of four. I mean, you've heard the expression, dumb luck. Well, I was dumb and I was lucky. I mean, I was in the right spot at the right time and fortunately had some individuals who took an interest in me and, and, and really looked out for me and helped me and, and got me going with it. And um, I, to this day, I still don't know how it happened, but you know, I, I took that chance volunteering and fell in love with the sport and fell in love with the people who were involved with it. And uh, it's taken me to where I'm at today. Yeah, I mean, simply amazing. Um, 
How, um, what is it like to coach, you know, at the elite level? I mean, I, I, I don't know that there's really a difference between coaching, you know, someone so-called able-bodied, right. And someone who's a chair for mobility, but are there differences? I mean, how do you approach it? Uh, I don't approach it any differently. I, I feel that when I coach both the U.S. women's national team and the men's team, I'm coaching the best players in the world, all right? They happen to be sitting down. But the skill set they have, the drive they have, the way they look at things, the way they trained, you can't find anything better than what coaching these individuals at that level is. I mean, you're representing your country at the highest level of sport there is. And there's not a greater honor out there. So to be able to be at that level and to work with individuals who are that good and that talented, it's a f- remarkable experience. Can you tell us uh, tell us a few of your favorite stories from the uh, Paralympics then? Yeah. <laughs> what, what kind do you want? Um, Whatever you want to tell us. <laughs> uh, it, I, there, there's so many of them. Um, I think when I look back at, I've been fortunate to coach five Paralympic teams. And one of the things I'm most proud of with those, uh, all of those teams where they've always been the top defensive teams at a tournament. Mm. I mean, we, we've been the toughest team to score on. Um, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, one, one time we came up short in 92 and Barcelona came in second and that, but the, the other four, I've been, uh, other three I've been to have been, we've been fortunate enough to, to win. Um, but each one is different. They're, 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 one's not better than the other, but they have different meaning to you. Um, different things that you accomplish. I, I don't know about particular stories that, um, uh, to tell other than it's just been some of the most, uh, rewarding things I've ever done in sport. Yeah, that's so terrific. Wow. And you're coaching uh, this year's team too, right, in Tokyo? Yes. Yes, I am. I I wish I was coaching them more than I am right now because with COVID, um, we haven't been able to get together really since uh, uh, the Parapan Am Games in Lima in 2019. That was the last time we competed. We had trials in 2020 in January, and then everything shut down in, in March. And you know, we've had a couple opportunities to get together, but based on the situation, we weren't, we haven't been able to do it. And, uh, it, it, it's frustrating, uh, for me, uh, my staff, the players, everyone involved. I mean, we're, we're anxious to get on the court, to, to get back to doing what we love and, and continue our goal of, of going to Tokyo and, and trying to uh, medal and win there. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's very tough. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the collegiate game. Um, you know, as you said, when you first started coaching, so there were four teams. I mean, I know there's more interest now, but but still, it, you know, it's not a lot of teams. And I mean, how do we, and I've asked this question to other people I've interviewed, how do we, how do we get more collegiate, you know, programs going throughout the US? I, I think there's a couple of things to it. Um, universities have to realize that there's a population out there that's not being served. Okay. There's, there are so many junior programs. I mean, out there now, there are uh, over a hundred juniors teams. How many kids are out there? How many are actually going to school? Not many, a lot of them want to play, but they, they, they don't, they, they 
can't can't afford to travel out of state or academically they they, they might not have the programs that they want to go into so I, I think part of it is the universities have to realize that there's a population out there that's not being served. Um, and then secondly, I think it's got to come from the kids themselves. They, you know, someone like me, you know, I try and teach my players here that I can go to administration and I can make your request heard. And I'm just an employee. So it might go in one ear or out the other. But when a group of students come out and start talking about things that they want, they have an ear. Nobody wants to, to um, be the one who doesn't listen or meets the needs of their students that are there. So I think some self-advocacy is something that, that could really be used. I think um, legislatively, you know, women had Title IX back in the 70s. Well, we had the Rehabilitation Act, 1973. Uh, that states that individuals have that right at public institutions for, for the rights for education, for recreational needs or, or, or sports in there. And I think until somebody really comes up to it and says, hey, you know what, we, we have these rights, why are you not meeting those? Then that's what's gonna get somebody to listen and that. But, you know, it's kind of also what, what comes first. One person goes there and say, hey, I wanna play wheelchair basketball. Here's, here's the law that states have. And they're gonna say, well, you only got one guy. So you need, you know, you need to have that population there. You need students to kind of step up and, and advocate for themselves there. And universities need to come to the plate also and, and realize that they're not serving all their students there. Yeah, this, I mean, this is something that I find particularly frustrating because as you said, there are a lot of youth playing, you know, and you want them to play throughout their lives and then they want to play at the collegiate level. And, but yet, you know, I, I think about California and there's no wheelchair basketball team at a college here. And that, you know, it makes so little sense to me. I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, right now, Arizona's kind of brought their co- their program back to being a collegiate program. Yeah. So they're going to have a lot of West Coast kids are going to want to flock there. But you can only have about 15 on your basketball program. I mean, yeah. what's going to happen to the other hundreds who yeah. aren't out there? You know, Eastern Washington is starting up a program. But, you know, it shouldn't be where, you know what, hey, here's the one school you can go to. Every able-bodied kid can choose from every school in the country. I mean, what, what if, and, and I'll use Arizona, Arizona is kind of a bad example because being the flagship university, they're going to have a lot of academic programs, all right? Eastern Washington, I'm not sure how big of a school that is. But to say to a kid in the state of Washington, you can only go there. That's your one school to go to. But what if that major that he's looking for is not there? We don't force anybody else to go get a degree or if they want to play sports to go someplace that they uh, don't have their degree program in. So why are they doing it with with kids with disabilities? Yeah, that's a really good point. Do you find, Ron, that, you know, at University of Missouri, that do you have to turn some uh, students away from playing? I mean, do you get a lot of applicants? How does that work? No, we, we don't, uh, we haven't. Um, and that, but you know, some kid for some kids playing at the collegiate level, um, I, I don't want to say is above what they want to do, but it's a lot harder than what they're getting themselves into. They're not used to it. Juniors, junior ball does a great job of finding kids, identifying them and getting them involved in the sport. But playing at the collegiate level now is a whole different story. 
I mean, you're talking about practicing five days a week. You got weightlifting thrown in there on top of it. You have um, coming in doing shooting workouts. You have big, strong players who, you know, you might have been the best kid on your junior team. Now you're coming here and, and, and it's really difficult um, for them to do. Then on top of it, now they don't have mom and dad. They're waking them up to go to school. Don't have them there to wake, uh, make sure they're doing their homework. So now you're throwing in the, the, the aspect of being a, a, a college student, yeah. a student athlete. And that's really difficult. And for some kids, I think it's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. No, when I, when I was an assistant, you know, with PUs at University of Arizona, I found, you know, some of the students, it was just the things you were mentioning. So, you know, they didn't make it, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it is a major adjustment. And for those kids, you know what? They tried. Yeah. All right. Great for them to come and try and, and give it a shot. And, yeah. you know, why, why weren't they successful? Well, maybe in high school, they weren't challenged academically. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons there, but I look at those kids, Hey, they came and they tried. Yeah. All right. And, and there's not much more you can ask out of anybody. Did they give their best effort? They gave yeah. their best effort. Okay. Some of them, eh, not so much because they're like, Hey, this is fun being away from home or, Right. Or, or whatever. And, and they don't get the student part as much as they get the athletic part. Yeah. And it's just something to learn. And um, I, I just wish more kids would you know be willing to take that risk or to, to come in and, and go to school and, and try and realize, Hey, you know what, you might not be good enough to, to make a starting, the starting team, or you might not play a little bit, but you're still a part of a college program. You're still playing ball. You're getting your college education. Yeah. Not many people can say that they were a college athlete. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I want to talk a little bit about University of Missouri. I know when we practice, you know, with the women's team at uh, University of Arizona, I mean, we were practicing at 630 in the morning, right? That's when we can get court time. Uh, do you have an, an, are there any issues with you getting court time? I mean, does the university really, you know, say, okay, this is a sport. We're supporting it. You know, you have decent court time? Uh, we practice at 530 in the morning. And oh. one of the reasons that we do that is, is our kids class schedule. We don't have the ability to say no priority with scheduling. Yeah. Now, one of the, I, I say this kind of facetiously, yeah. one of the problems I have is I get a lot of engineering students. Okay. All right. Well, all these engineering classes are at 8 a.m. Because yeah. the guys who come in and teach them, they, they teach your class and they go work someplace. Yeah. So my guys have to be at eight o'clock. And then when you start looking at the rest of the schedule, no, nobody has class at 530 and eight o'clock is the first one. Right. So it guarantees that I have my attendance right there, that there's nothing else going on during that time period. Okay. Um, you know, if we were able-bodied athletics, we had our own facility. Yeah. yeah, it'd be a different story, but we're not. We share our rec center. Right. And then as the day goes on, it starts getting crowded with more students coming in for either uh, open rec or we start our recreation sports programs. So the morning really does work out well for us, for our guys to come in. They know they have it. Um, it gets them up and out of bed, gets them ready to go to class. And by the time they're done with class, they've, they've accomplished more than most people have uh, have um, because they're up early and get, get their day yeah. started. So you don't mind the early morning hours then either, huh? Uh, I, I, I wish we could go at two fifteen to five in, in our own facility, but we, we don't have that. So no, I, I, I like coming in because yeah. again, one thing I look at is 
very hard to have a bad, you know, your day doesn't start out bad at 5.30 a.m. Right. You know, your girlfriend breaks up with you in yeah. the afternoon or, right. you know, you have class later on or you didn't do well on that test. You're starting the day at, in a pretty good mindset usually. So that kind of carries over to practice. Okay. All right. Good. Can you talk a little bit about your coaching philosophy, please? Um, you know, how do you approach the game? How do you work with players, that kind of thing? Our biggest thing is we want to teach. We, I want to look to where I can teach the sport. And it's a process that starts from the day you get there to the day you leave. All right. And our biggest thing is we want to, we want to develop mastery of individual fundamental skills. We'll start with basic team progress team concepts and then we build on those as we go along so so there's a style of play that we have and depending on where we are in terms of experience and that we, we we can we can we can start out here but we can improve and, cont and continually take it to another level okay um there's five things that i want to look for in our player and five things that i think that are really important one is i want our guys to be passionate I don't think they can come in and be um, just kind of into it or, or kind of halfway there. They got to be into it completely. All right. Cause if you, if you don't, then you're not going to be successful with it. Um, I want them to come in with a sense of unity. The unity is being our team. Mm -hmm. Our guys are, we're together. Now we might have some infighting every now and then, which teams have, but nobody from the outside comes in and, and does anything with our guys that everything we're doing is based on the team. All right. Our guys have to put the team ahead of themselves. Their goals uh, individually are not as important as what the goals are for our team. So we're kind of serving our team there. All right. Um, we need to be thankful. One of 11, 12 university programs out there. Not everybody has this opportunity that you have. So don't take it for granted. Don't, don't just go through the motions. All right. There's going to be some good times there. Be thankful for those. Be thankful for the bad times. You can learn from those just as much as you can from your good, good times or the successes that you had there, but you have an opportunity that not everybody has make the most out of it. And then we want guys who are going to be humble. Nothing worse than somebody who, who has to tell everybody how good they are. Look at me. It's about having some humility. Win with, with grace, lose, um, holding your head up. Okay, be a grace, you know, graciousness when you lose, be humble when you win. So those are the things that we want to try and talk to with our players there for how we want to come up, uh, approach the game. And I think those are things that they can take into their everyday life off the court too, is how, how they approach things. Yeah, and that, that's a big thing that what we want to do is also teach and prepare them for life afterwards. Uh, I tell all my guys, yeah, you might play professionally for five, six years. You'll make a paycheck that allow you probably to live month to month, maybe a little bit after that, but you're not going to retire from this sport. So what you have to do is you need to come here, work as hard as you can in the classroom, on the court. And then when you leave here, you're going to be ready to get a job so you can be a productive member of society because you're going to need to use that degree to get a job, to support yourself, support your family, and, and to move on from there. Yeah, I think, you know, what you say is very poignant in that, you know, sports teaches you life lessons. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And so, you know, saying, you know, you're going to take these lessons and, you know, you're going to lead a full life. 
makes a lot of sense. So what kinds of, I mean, you said you have a lot of engineering students. <laughs> um, and so when you uh, think about the players that have graduated, you know, that have played for you at University of Missouri, um, the majority of them, 100% of them are, you know, leading very active lives. They have jobs, maybe they're married, they have a home and all that. Yeah, I 100%. Not everybody we've had has graduated. We've, we have a pretty high graduation rate in that. Um, you know, what I want to look at with my players, not so much, you know, yeah, I'm interested in what they're doing while they're there. Okay. You know, we have to, we, you know, we're a competitive team, but I judge the real success is five, 10 years from after they graduate. You want to ask me how successful those kids are. All right. Hey, this guy's, I got one of my kids, one of those engineering kids, he's working at Boeing right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think he's doing pretty well for himself. Um, others are, are, uh, got one in a PhD program now, another's in a master's getting ready to go into a PhD program. Others have gone out and found jobs. No, I don't think we have any kids who are sitting around at home, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. All right. They're out there working and that, and that's the thing that I'm most proud of. Now, some of them aren't, um, uh, don't have jobs in their fields that they, uh, went to school for. That's okay. You know, one kid was an engineering major, went for teachers for uh, Teach for America program. Okay, wow, good for you. I mean, he's there helping others. They are there doing something for others, kind of paying forward. You know, the the things that they had here that they're now taking out into the community and helping others out. What a great thing! Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, what what are some of those things that you're most proud of, Ron? In you know, this career that you just kind of volunteered and, you know, it's, it's led to this, I mean, major career where you're, again, you're the top level coach in this country. Um, yeah, what, what, you probably couldn't see yourself doing this kind of thing, right? When you were a student, but what are the, what are the things that you're most proud of? Um, I, I think it goes back to what these guys are doing outside of basketball being able to find a job, taking care of themselves, productive members of society, and that families, uh, kids, you know, just, just very successful off the court. I look back at what we did on the court too. Okay, all right, first of all, okay, so they're, they're these productive members of society. Okay, they graduated, all right, they haven't been in trouble. They represent us well uh, in, in later life where they are now. They represent us well while they were in school. Okay. Oh, by the way, while you're in school here, hey, we won 20 games in a year. All right. We, we competed. We got better. We improved. Some guys had individual awards where they made, whether uh, college player of the year, or they made first team, um, all, all, I guess, All-American. Some made academic All-American, sportsmanship award winners. Oh, one of them made the Paralympic team in 2016, won a gold medal there. Others have played on other uh, international teams. I mean, there's such a thing, there's so much to look at more than just what our one loss record is, but I'm also proud of how we did with our one loss record with what we had and how hard we worked. And you know what, some of those kids there, you know, they reached the, they reached their potential. All right. Now other teams might've been more talented and better than us, but you know what, I saw the development and the growth of this individual over five years, right? He grew up from a little boy coming in here, grew up young man who's leaving now, 
as his degree is ready to go on. You know, he he reached the apex of what his career was athletically. And, yeah. and that's a that's a thing I'm really proud of, too. Yeah. Did your um, I mean, did this kind of, uh, you know, wanting to help others to succeed in life? Did this come from your parents or how, how did you develop that? Yeah, I, I would say my parents were that way. My dad always wanted to be a basketball coach and we always played in the backyard. And the way we played in the backyard wasn't so much, you know, who made the shot. Oh, hey, that was a great pass. All right. That guy was just as important as, as the guy who set the pick to allow the other guy to get open to get the shot. So we recognized everything that went into it. There's a reason why the guy made the shot. You know, more than just the talent of being able to make it, but everybody, somebody helped them get open. Somebody got them the ball, you know, teamwork, you know, it was like that. Um, so, so my dad instilled that into me right away as a, as a way to, to, to uh, how you play the game. Then the teams that we watched on TV, he really emphasized that with me too. And, and I could watch those and learn from them and, and just see how well that was. Basketball is a beautiful game when it's done with five guys playing together, all right? Whether it's uh, whoever's handling the ball, who set the screen, who made the pass, guy makes the shot, all those things come in together. And then, then when you look at defense, it's not one guy stopping the guy from shooting. It's team, you know, you have ball side defense, you have help, positioning, all those sorts of things. So teams that played like that, teams that played together, who really strove towards their, 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 their um, talent level, those are the teams that he got me watching and enjoying and can see. And, and I just kind of, I got that from him and then watching, continue to watch college basketball was, was, was some of the uh, programs that were out there. It's like, yeah, that I, I could relate to that. I like that. That's what I want to try and teach here to, to my teams at whether it's at Whitewater, Mizzou, or with the USA teams. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. Um, I, I want to ask you a more general question now. Um, you know, I'm always thinking about with this nonprofit that I'm, you know, uh, associated with, I always think about how do we create a more inclusive society? You know, the, the bigger kind of picture. And it, it's, it, you know, it's not obviously not just about disability. It's on many different levels. But, you know, in some sense, I think by you coaching and all that, you're helping to create more inclusion because you're showing how people, you know, of varying abilities are able to, to kind of play, uh, to get out there and play at a top level. But how, how do you think we can create more societal inclusion? Well, uh, I think it comes on a, a numerous, numerous uh, issues there. I think part of it is an educational thing an education piece, um, what, what we're learning in universities. Uh, when Andrea Woodson talked about the adaptive sports program that they're teaching classes, what a, what a great thing, all right? People are learning about that. Uh, we, we do internships here at the university. We'll do demonstrations. So we try and bring people in so they can experience it and they get a chance to see it. I think the biggest thing is, you know, people have their perception of wheelchair sports all right you got these guys in clunky chairs they can't dribble it's going to be slow uh, but then when they actually see a game then it's like wow all right then they get to try it okay great so you, so the education level of bringing bringing that up there um, I think a great thing that's going to happen it's just really happened last couple of years is the 
United States Olympic Committee adopted, put Paralympics in their name. <laughs> Holy cow, when we went out there, the, the pride our players felt, I felt, was United States Olympic and Paralympic. We weren't this separate organization anymore. We were part of that. And, and now when you see that stuff out there, um, like right after it, there's a gymnastics meet. And the guy had USOPC on his jersey. We're there. All right. So people are going to say, well, what's that now? And now they learn what that is. So they're starting to see more and more of it. It's an educational thing. And, and with USOPC there, I thought NBC with the coverage uh, they had of Rio was really incredible. The education, how they taught people the differences in classifications and, and all that there was, was really well done. And that's going to help. Um, and just the, the more that these things get out there, it's going to take time. And I know wheelchair basketball started in 1948 and people are like, it's, it should be time now <laughs> and that, but it, 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 the last few years with some of these things that are coming out there, I think that's the biggest thing. So if you got, they're being educated on the college, uh, in college, high school, now where you have teams there and, and know that the high schools are recognizing their athletes with disability, whether it's track and field, or even if they're playing on a, a community basketball team, they're still being recognized with their peers. So now those kids are going on and saying, well, I knew somebody played wheelchair basketball. Yeah, he's my friend. Okay, so now they're open to it. And the word gets out there. And okay, sponsor wow there's a whole market we haven't tapped into that now that's some more money for us now that's going to be you know the commercials that are out there and things like that and the media campaigns there so um it is so much better than what it is what i mean than what it used to be when i first got started in a sport my first paralympic games we had to pay our own way over there athletes had to fundraise their own way there um, so they're training working being a family and then they're out fundraising now, with USOPC stepping in, the corporate sponsorships that we have in there, these guys can just be athletes and, and role models and, and everything else to, to help out. So it's come a long way. It is so much better. The, the one thing that, uh, that I don't like is these kids now that are just getting into sport, they think this is how it's been all the way, all the time. No, they have no appreciation or understanding what even the guys on our teams now, our, our players on the U.S. team now, what they've been through just a few, you no, know, eight years ago. So it, it's getting better there. And, and having the right people there that can promote the sport that you can put out there and know that will can connect with people. And, and I, I've really been impressed with the men that I've worked with and the ladies I had on the national team, always willing to go and talk to the little kid or willing to go out and talk to schools. And, that, and that's the, that's, I think it's slow. I mean, it's not as fast as everybody wants, but it's the tide's turning and uh, we just need to continue to do that and, and stay with it and, and uh, work together on this. And I think that's, what's going to help change this and help get it to a point where, where we want it to be, where more opportunities will be out there. Yeah. You know, I've been, I, I've spoken to um, Trey, Trayvon, Jennifer. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I didn't know him before. And I, I said to him, you know, you are such a great mo role model. You know, you're very articulate. And just to hear you talk, I mean, I think really helps, the, you know, obviously the sport. I'm going to talk to Rose Hollerman, uh, I think Sunday. And I, I think you're right. I mean, and, you know, these guys, I mean, and women, they are, they're approachable, right? And I think that the connection, that's really is going to make a difference for people. Yeah. You know, you know, it'd be nice, it, you know, you look at 
you watch Trayvon Jennifer play. Yeah. And like, he's not slow in his chair. And he's not, his dribbling's not bad. The things he can do with his chair, Matt Scott, yeah. Brian Bell, the, the, the physical skills these guys have. And the more people and see that and they're like, oh, they're not these slow, poor, sick people. Look at the size of these guys. They are athletes and people can relate to that. And when you see Matt Scott flying down the court or yeah. Trey gets knocked over on something, boom, he's right back up again. That's an athletic move. And that's, that's when the things start changing and people realize they get to see that these guys are athletes and they are the, they are elite athletes. They just happen to be sitting down with their sports, just a piece of equipment. Yeah, that's right. Do you, do you see a professional wheelchair basketball league happening in the U S I mean, not immediately, but in the future, uh, I don't know. They, they tried it a few years ago. Um, I think it's all going to come down to sponsorship. I mean, if somebody can make money off it, then we'll see pro basketball here. But you look at what's happening in Europe, how strong the, the Spanish league is and, and the Italian league and the German league. I think it's a matter of time before it gets here. But it, it conti- I think and, and the stories of our guys now that, you know, when, when during Rio, they talked about a little bit, and I know they'll talk about it in Tokyo and in future games. Hey, these guys are professional athletes. They yeah. play overseas here. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now you look at the Mavericks. There, there's NBA teams that sponsor yeah. some teams in that. Um, but it's not at the point yet where these guys can just be professional basketball players. Yeah. Okay. They, they you know, that, that step's going to be coming. I don't know when that'll happen. I hope it does and that, but until you get that sponsor where that guy's going to come in here and really commit that money to doing it. And then they sell the sponsorships and then the sponsors are going to see, Hey, there's, there's a market out here. That's when it's going to take off. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of a, you know, the WNBA where, I mean, the women have to play overseas too, right. To make, to make enough money. So yeah. Hopefully it will happen in our lifetimes. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would be it would be fun to see. Yeah, it would be amazing. Um, so we're coming to the end of our interview, Ron, and it's been great. Um, any final words that you'd like to say, you know, to our listening audience, just about, uh, you know, adaptive sports, uh, about whatever you'd like to say. <laughs> yeah. I think with the, with the coverage, you're starting to see some on TV and, and then even on the local levels, go try it. You know, we talked about kids trying and not being uh, afraid to fail. Go out and see it. One, it, it's super affordable. Very few places are charging money to come watch it. And once you see it, you're going to realize that after a few minutes, you don't see the chair. All right, it's basketball. You know, I, I talk to my guys. I talk to students here. I say, there's basketball. You have men's basketball, you have women's basketball, and you have wheelchair basketball. The commonality is it's basketball. Yeah. Okay. So come watch it play. It, 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 you, again, when you see these guys falling, getting up the athleticism that's there and, 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 and how competitive these games are, and they're, they're entertaining, they're, they're high-scoring games, they're well-played games, guys are going at it hard. Okay. It's something that I think that they'll enjoy seeing. So give it, give it a shot and try it. And, um, rest of the kids out there, keep playing as long as you can keep playing. I mean, there's different stages of it at youth ball. You have it because now it's social, you know, you're learning skills and it's physical activity. You're social socializing, 
College is a chance to keep improving those skills the way you're being very competitive. College can lead to playing overseas or playing on a U.S. national team, or it could be playing on a club team. Now, if you're if you don't want to, you don't want to play that much where you, where you're traveling all the time, you can still play this sport. And that's the best thing. The more people that are out playing it, the more chances people have a chance to see it, the more they're going to learn about the sport, the more the sport will grow. And those are the things I, I, I I hope our youth players, college players, kids who just graduated college continue to play, not looking at, well, I'm done with this. I mean, you look at the guys when I first started, you know, when those guys paid their way to everything and they're, and they played into their forties, fifties, right. Cause they loved it. They loved the sport and they wanted to get back to the sport and I hope to see um, the generations that we have now continue to do that, pay it forward to the next group, because you've gotten a lot out of this sport, whether it's on the youth level, college some kids had their college paid for because they had scholarships or if they didn't they still had a chance to play college basketball all right that's a lot all right now let's make it better for that next group coming in terrific ron this has just been delightful thank you so much oh thank you for uh having me on here i like i told you before i was a little nervous about it because i heard the high quality of individuals that were on before me and and they were fantastic and i just hope i didn't bring the level down uh too far uh Uh, bringing me in here but no really enjoyed it you're a terrific spokesperson for terrific thanks again all right thank you and ever need anything please uh feel free to contact me